Obviously, in the middle of our Walk the Walk message series from the book of James, we're going to be picking right back up with that course this morning. And uh, as we get into the actual title of that, just I like to unpack a little bit each week of the whole heart behind the message series, Walk the Walk. You know, it's a passion of mine. We're just today uh, that the church needs to really be the authentic expression of, of Christianity. There's power in the authentic expression of Christianity, but in something fake and something phony, how many people know that there's just nothing in it, right? There's nothing for people to be attracted to. And what's worse is when they get the wrong thing, they think they got the real thing, and then they, they go on thinking that they had something that they actually never had. And then they have this disposition of being opposed to the view of the church or what the church has to say or Christians in general and that's just kind of a summary of the society that we're in today but James says in chapter 2 verse 26 he says as the body is without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also and that's really what we're trying to get at is you know faith of course is uh, how we trust in God it's how we receive his grace but works, the way we live our lives, the way we walk through these days that we have on earth is the display of our faith. It's evidence that God is at work in us. It doesn't mean we walk a perfect line and make every right decision. We won't. What it means, though, is that there is an undeniable uh, witness. There's an undeniable change and something that's happening in the life of each and every believer who walks with Christ. My life should look like I'm walking with God. It shouldn't look like I'm a perfect person because I'm not. Your life should look like you're walking with God to people around you. They may not know what all of that means. They may have more questions than answers. Answers. That's good. You can give them to them, right? But they should be able to see in the life of a believer in any situation, there's something different about this man or about this woman. And that's what James is trying to drive home. He's addressing all of these different subjects of morality and things that are affecting the church then that are still affecting the church today. And he's coming at it hard and he's coming at it aggressive because he's trying to say, look, if the church is going to have her voice, we've got to look like the church Jesus died to give his spirit to. And that's what he's trying to get across and so in each of these issues that we look at you know we've looked at anger we've looked at patience we looked at these different things what what I'm trying to help us to see which I believe is what James does a really good job of doing is showing us what it is but also what it isn't because it's a lot of times in learning what something is not that we get an even better picture of what it actually is right and so and so we see how, what it is, what it isn't, and also how to walk it out. For example, we talked about anger. And we talked about what it is, the wrong kind of anger, is when things just swell up inside of us and our frustration and we just let go and our temper unleashes and we just make a mess of things because we're dealing with it in a spirit of anger or wrath. But what it isn't is the righteous indignation or anger that God talks about in his word that opposes evil, that stands against evil, that doesn't settle for evil. And see, nowadays, the society would, would want us to believe that we're angry and that we're mean and that we're intolerant just because we want to stand for the right Christian views, because we don't want to tolerate things that violate our convictions. And so what anger is and what it isn't, both of those 
definitions or explanations are critically important in the overall picture, right? We talked about snobbery and, and how being a snob and being, uh, the Bible calls it as partiality, is, you know, thinking somehow that we're above someone else for various reasons or looking down on someone for uh, things of external circumstances or characteristics that we see in them that are not a part of who they are and in their heart. It's also, you know, sucking up to people and trying to uh, draw on people that have a certain persona or image or wealth or whatever it may be to try to make ourselves look better. We're, we're after some sort of self-seeking or self-gain. So looking at what things are, but also what they're not is what James is trying to give a real clear picture to, but make no mistake, he's doing it because he's saying the church has got to continue to stand for and, and adhere to these things if they're going to have a voice in society and continue to do what the church is supposed to do, which is win lost people and expand and grow and make the kingdom of God bigger on earth so that his purposes can be fulfilled in more lives and, in more, and more people can go to be with him and heaven one day. And so today we were going to take a look at the subject of greed, of greed. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up now to James chapter 5. And I'll begin by reading in verses 1 through 5, and then we'll break this down. He says, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath." You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I just ask you, anoint me, preach your word. Help us to come face to face with the reality of your word as it pertains to this subject of greed and how it affects each and every one of us in our lives. Help us to not only hold true to the convictions that you want to instill in us, but to represent them to the world around us. Let this message be honoring to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, you know, looking at the subject of greed, listen to this. The, I'm going to give you two definitions, and I want you to see there's, there's only like one slight difference in the two. One of them is kind of like the Webster or Wikipedia definition of greed, and then the other one is the, the definition if you study uh, the word in Greek in the Bible. And a lot of times what you see is these words are, there's, they're, they're kind of different or there's a lot more to one than the other. And, but and it, it's interesting to me that in both of these definitions, they so closely parallel each other, except for one little bit. We'll see if you catch it and, and know what it is, all right? If you know it, whenever I'm done, raise your hand. We'll see who knows. So the wiki, Wikipedia definition is greed, also known as avarice, cupidity, or covetousness, is the inordinate desire to possess wealth, goods, or objects of abstract value with the intention to keep it for oneself far beyond the dictates of basic survival and comfort. The Greek word pleonexia, 
means properly the desire for more things, lusting for a greater number of temporal things that go beyond what God determines is eternally best or beyond his preferred will. Who knows the difference? One person. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to do some teaching today. All right. Let me roll up my sleeves here. So the difference here is that the one that is in the Bible as it talks about greed is it has to do with going beyond God's preferred will or God's desire or, or the way he sees fit to bless us or the things that he puts in our hand. Now, what's, what's actually common and similar is in both of these cases you see there's an unhealthy and imbalanced and abnormal desire, pursuit, and search for things that fall under the category of materialistic. Now, let's just get this out of the way right up front and understand that greed isn't just about money. It's probably the biggest one. It's the one that people fall into the, the most temptation with. But greed can be about power. It can be about lust. It can be about a lot of things in addition to just money. It is the unhealthy, ungodly pursuit, desire, and search for things in our lives that fall under the category of being materialistic. Now, the way James addresses this is he uses these analogies and you know, the Bible is filled with these kind of things. They paint pictures for us. They help us get an idea of what the author is trying to say by painting, you know, think pictures of things that we are familiar with. So he talks about how as you pursue materialistic stuff, desires, and you get them, that all they do is he says they become corroded, he said, which basically means to corrode or like rust, how it builds up on metal. He says that it becomes corrupted, which means to rot. Think of fruit, okay? And he says that they become moth-eaten. And so when you, when you think about what he's trying to get across, is he's trying to say, look, anything that comes under the category as a thing, a materialistic uh, thing you can gather to yourself, that as you acquire these things, they are all in the process of rotting, of corroding, of wasting away, right? Such as anything that is what we would consider earthly under heaven. All things pass away except for God, except for heaven, and except our spirit, right? And so what he's trying to get across is what's the point in gathering things and holding on to them and devoting your life to pursuing the acquiring of certain goods when those things are not eternal. Those things are simply going to corrode, to rust, and to fade away. In many cases, about as, as quickly as when we acquire it, it starts to do that. And then he also says that as we do that, that we're, we're, we're like fattening our hearts for the day of slaughter. Now, this is really interesting because when you think about how cattle are raised for slaughter, I don't know if you are familiar with that process. I've studied up on these things in the message here, but, you know, they, they, they get the cattle and then they kind of corral them in. And so all of a sudden their boundaries are more limited, right? They're not allowed to walk and roam and run because then they'll exercise and burn calories and they want to fatten them up. And then they start to feed them almost in like a gluttonous way where they start packing on the weight, packing on the fat, 
and the, 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 the cow is just as happy as can be, right? I mean, he's excited. He's loving it. This is like, wow, what's going on? All these years, you know, I've been eating the grass off the field. Now I'm here. I'm eating all this good stuff. But what's actually happening? He's being fattened up and prepared so that he can be brought into a slaughter. He's totally unaware of what's going on. That's what James is trying to get across. He's saying, listen, if we're off track here with what God is calling us to do, how he's calling us to live, which we'll get into a minute more about our heavenly treasure and not about earthly treasure. But if we're doing that and we're just devoting our lives to acquiring things and goods, that those things themselves are rotting away and corroding. But in the process of doing that, we're totally unaware that we're leading ourselves down a, a path that eventually is going to be more and more unprofitable for us. Right, And so one deals with the things that are happening, and the other actually deals with what's going on with the person. And so in both situations, of course, is setting anyone up that's pursuing things with a spirit of greed for a fall and for a bad end result. He also says that they will be a witness against you and eat your flesh like fire. Now think about this. We're talking about walking the walk about having a real witness, about having an authentic expression. What James is saying right here is that a person that's bound up in greed, a person that's caught up in greed, that's pursuing things with greedy motives, ultimately that that is a witness against them. That that display, all that does is conflict with the nature and the character of God and the life that he has died for a person to have, for us to have. So whenever we are, a person is bound up by this, all that does is, is represent God wrongly if that person proclaims to be a Christian or to adhere to the values and convictions in God's word. And that's important because, you know, greed, this is one of those things that, it's my opinion. It's, it's one of the sins that's harder to see in ourselves than the others. Like when I, if I get off track in anger, I mean, come on. You know, you blow up, you blow up. <laughs> you, you just can't justify that. You can't talk your way around that one. But greed is a little bit different. It's, it's harder for a person to recognize in themselves as much. And we tend to kind of judge other people by actions, but yet at the same time, we sort of give ourselves judgment by our intentions, right? And so the, the point there is that other people, if you adhere to that humanly premise, other people are typically looking at our actions to make a determination about our witness and not necessarily interested in or able to see our intentions, and so greed is something that can kind of fly below the radar. It can get in there and we can be about the business of pursuing things and going after things in the name of this or in the name of that. It's, you know, it's about having more for my family. I'm not saying you don't provide for your family, but I'm just saying these are the fronts that it can mask itself under. Oh, no, it's about, you know, I've just got to, you know, move up the ladder because I've just got to do this or I've got to do that. And all those things, can, we'd be doing them in the name of that, but in reality, there can be a spirit of greed that actually managed to get in there and get a hold of us, and we're really pursuing something with a desire of and a longing for something that's unhealthy and beyond the measure and the level that God 
God is willing for us to have in our lives. And it'll mess us up, man. Say it'll mess us up. It'll mess us up. And then he says, also in that scripture, he says, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. And so I broke down, you know, the things corrupt, the things corrode. We are, the person kind of has their heart becoming fattened like the cattle. And then it, and overall, it's a witness against us, eats our flesh like fire. But he says that ultimately you're, you're heaping up treasure. And really, in my mind, this is kind of the crux of it all is it's about how we are accumulating treasure, we'll call that, right? And the Bible is, is very clear. Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 6. In fact, I'm going to put that up there. He says in verses 19 through 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. There's that temporal fading away. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven eternal treasure, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how many people have ever seen that show, The Preppers or whatever, like Doomsday Preppers, right? Come on, I know more people watch that, than it, right? They, they, they prep, they pack, they get all this stuff put in storage and stuff for, you know, if, if the end times come. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that when they do that, what kind of stuff do they prepare? What type of stuff do they put away? They put away food and stuff, but what kind? They put away stuff that's going to last like, I mean, it won't last forever, but seemingly forever. It's never going to go bad. You know, it's just going to stay good so that whenever that time comes, they'll have it. They don't put away stuff, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, why? Because it's just, and that's why, that, that's why what he's saying is that earthly treasure is fading away. It's, if we get a grip on that, if we get a grasp on that, why would we really devote our heart, our desire, our longing to anything that isn't going to last forever? That it's in the pursuit of heavenly treasures Make no mistake, you acquire things, you accumulate things, but it's a byproduct, get this, it's a byproduct, it's an outflow of the life that is genuinely pursuing and longing for heavenly treasure and the things of God, God's will, and God's purposes for our lives. Not things that we can get or that we can have that we think are somehow going to make us feel good or are going to be a worthwhile pursuit that are only fading away that are not in the scope of what God is saying, hey, this is a part of what I'm calling you to go after and what I'm calling you to do. God is calling us to go after things, okay? He's calling us to devote our lives to things, to pursue things. But he's calling us to do that in a direction that's aimed towards heavenly treasure, his purposes, and his will for our lives. And that's what he's trying to say is if we go after that, if we pursue that, that's our aim, that all the things that we build up, if we build up an inheritance, if we build up wealth, if we build up influence, if we build up uh, you know, a prominent position in society, that'll all be because God willed it so and we followed in his path desiring him and his treasure that was going to be eternal and not something that was just for ourselves and as an outflow of that God began to bless us with those other things it also says here that treasure is where your treasure is there your heart will be also that's kind of what I was just saying actually is like 
where you lay up your treasure daily is also an indication of the direction that your heart goes in daily. Did you get that? So if you're laying up earthly treasure, this is progressive, right? It builds. And just day in and day out, that's kind of your devotion. That's your pursuit. Ultimately, you can't help but your heart go more and more in a direction of those things that are earthly. And as a default, it's going further and further away from the things that God wills for your life. And so where we lay up our treasure daily has to be in alignment and aimed and focused in things that are heavenly, things that flow out of the word of God, things that God is leading us and directing us to do with our gifts, our passions, and our lives, right? Hey, I found out a long time ago, and I think this is a beautiful thing. When you operate in your gifts and you operate in your passions as God has created each one of us uniquely and individually to do, there's an abundant blessing in store for the person in what they do. I'm not saying everybody goes and becomes a millionaire. I'm just saying there's favor, there's blessing. People are attracted to it. It thrives, right? It bears fruit. It's how God created us to do that. But we have to be seeking those things which are of him, that are above, right? The Bible says, I believe in Colossians, seek, uh, focus on those things which are above and not on those things which are below. That's one of the reasons why I think I'm, I'm so big on, on tithing is because by giving up and giving back to God, what's already his to begin with, but by just regularly giving that tenth, then I know my heart is always in the right place with money and with finances. When I can just let that go freely then I know that the money doesn't have some kind of a hold on me. And I think that by being a tither and being a giver, that that's a big part of one of the reasons God calls us to walk in that is because it always keeps money just at a place beneath us where it needs to be, and our trust is in God, and it, He's the source of the provision. And so when we need more provision, we go and we seek Him. We don't go and seek the money. You know what I'm saying? All right. Thanks. First Timothy, yeah, I was off a week. Give me a break, okay? Come on. I'm sharpening up here today. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Open to that one. It says, Now godliness with contentment is of great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. Pause for a second. Is that great perspective, perspective or what? You brought nothing in, and you carry nothing out. Nothing is going with us. Our spirit, even our physical body stays here and decomposes, right? Our spirit goes to be with God in heaven. And all of that earthly treasure that we built up, the Bible talks about that we're awarded and granted crowns, that each will be rewarded according to his labor. It obviously is important enough and powerful enough for God to make it a part of his written word to tell us on this side of heaven. So there's got to be an amazing reward and purpose in that that we can't even grasp right now that's coming. But when we get there, we're going to realize fully the picture is going to be clear. Wow, it was all about this heavenly treasure. That earthly treasure is down there, gone. It's dust. It's, it's faded. It's vapor. It's no longer. Now I actually understand what eternal, eternal treasure means. That day's coming, right? And so he says, 
nothing, we come into this world with nothing and we take nothing out. I did a funeral earlier this year. This is kind of funny. I did a funeral earlier this year and the family that I, well, that's not funny. Oh, context, it's all context. So I did the funeral and this family, they had had the grave plot donated to them which was really cool because they didn't have a lot of money. And so, so the, somebody gave, well, turned out that the story behind that was is that there was a woman whose husband, he bought this grave plot and he was just like, he was real excited about this plot, like where it was, he got it for him and for his wife. And, you know, he paid good money for this thing and all that. And as soon as he died, did you know what she did? She, she just, she gave it away. She gave it to this family that I did the funeral for, and she went and bought plots somewhere else and buried him in a different place because she said that the view wasn't good for the family that was coming to visit. Look, you can't get too hung up on stuff this side of heaven, right? I mean, that stuff's fading away. When you're gone, who knows? Somebody's maybe going to do something crazy with the things that you valued so much. I don't know. Just saying. I thought that was funny. She didn't have any issues with it at all. Oh, no, are you kidding me? I'm not going to that place. This other place has a beautiful view. Our kids, when they come, they can see all the, the flowers in the fields below. Oh, yeah, you know. Who knows what he spent on that thing? Moving forward, verse 8, and it says, And having food and clothing with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, for which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Pause again. Here's a big misnomer, right? What's the, what's the way you hear most people say this? Money is the root of all evil. It's not true. It's not true. I'm not saying that it doesn't trip people up. But money in itself, it's, it's neither good nor evil. It's, it's the hands and the heart of the person that holds it. It's the love of money. What is love? That's a heart issue. It's just where the love is devoted is the money instead of God. Now we're back to heavenly versus earthly, right? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You could put that in, place, replace money with anything besides God. The love of power, the love of fame, the love of glory, the love of riches, the love of lust, you name it, right? Anything can be the root, can be the, the, the cause of all sorts of evil that start to flow out and, and present themselves in someone's life which is ultimately destructive and defiling for them, but also it's a discredit to their witness and their testimony as it pertains to spreading the good news of God, right? And then he goes, he says in verse 10, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Strayed from the faith. So anything earthly, anything, the love of something that's not the love of what are heavenly things that God has called us to, ultimately, it's like it's pulling at us, it's straying us, it's, it's kind of leading us in a direction that's gradually just a little more off course of the things that God has willed for us in our lives, he's purposed for us, and his perfect and beautiful plan. And we can all get tripped up tripped up in this kind of stuff. There's none of us that are exempt or above these things that we're addressing. The point is to strengthen the church and these kinds of messages to build us up, prepare us to shine a light on the things that we face and we deal with from the enemy and have a, a recourse and an understanding of how we're to walk in the ways and the things that God has called us to. And it pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Eventually, it, you're going to get burned. 
You're going to get hurt. There's pain. There's misery. There's destruction. There's all kinds of bad things. It just happens, generally speaking, a little bit down the path as we walk further and further down that stuff before that starts to come. There's some initial temporal satisfaction, just like that fruit when we get it. Like it's good when you first get good ripe fruit. But you've got how many days? Two, three, tops. When it's perfectly ripe, I mean, you better eat it fast because in a few days, you're cutting away pieces of it trying to get to what's actually still left that's good. Katie won't. She, it's rotten. She throws it out. I'm, I whittle away. You know, there's still something good in there. But anyway, so there's pain coming. We think there's something worthwhile in it. We feel like we're pursuing something that's going to bring us pleasure. But in the end, we're really setting ourselves up for a fall. We, we, you ever use those laser pointers, you know? And uh, don't use it right now if you have it. But we, uh, Katie's family, they have a bunch of dogs or whatever. And I just, I can't help it. I just, when there's one of those around, you know, run it down the wall. Dog just chases that thing and then you turn it off and then he's looking around and then you shine it again. And it's, it's a blast. You got to try. But anyway, he thinks he's going after something that he can get. But he's, he can't get it, right? He thinks he's going to grab onto that little red dot and he's just going to devour it and he's just going to love it. But eventually you just keep running and he keeps running and then you take it right to the wall and boom, he slams right into the wall head on, right? There's pain coming. There's a burn coming. The more we pursue and chase down things that are earthly, that are not heavenly treasure. Amen. That's pretty good. See, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way up here. Okay. All right. A parable of the rich young ruler. We won't read that one. You know that story, right? The guy, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, what do I need to do? Jesus says, you need to keep all the commandments. He says, I've done all these. And then he says, you need to go and you need to sell all your possessions and follow me. And the rich young ruler went away uh, sad because he had many possessions. He didn't sell them, right? See, here's the point in this. And I, we got to get this clear. It wasn't that he had many possessions. It was that the many possessions had him. And Jesus understood that. He understood where his, what? Heart was. Exactly. Exactly. It had his heart. And that was the issue Jesus was dealing with. It wasn't that he had wealth. You know why I know that? Because think about this. The Bible talks about wealth in many other places. It talks about blessing. It talks about in Proverbs, leaving an inheritance to your children's children. Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave him riches, fame, wealth, influence. He gave him things that we're looking at and sometimes people are thinking, oh, that's, that's where greed is. It's not in the things. It's in the heart of the person. Where is their heart? What is it aimed after? What is it busy about the business of laying up daily? Earthly or heavenly treasure? And when God heard Solomon say, I just want wisdom, he saw his heart. And he saw that it was after the things of God and not after the things of this earth. And as a result, he blessed him plentifully. There's never been a person as rich as what King Solomon was. I forget what the numbers were. They, you know, real smart mathematicians try to figure out based on all that he had, like what he would be worth today. And it's like into the hundreds of billions or trillions. I don't even know. It's beyond what anybody's ever achieved. 
And we're talking about a guy who wanted wisdom. He wanted the things of God. Again, I'm not saying you're going to go become a millionaire, but I'm saying as you seek the things of God, it's a life of abundance. It's a life of favor. It's a life of blessing. That's why I, get, I can't stand when you know, people get this view like there's some self-righteous thing in being poor. Or, or like, yeah, you know, I just, I'm not going to have anything. I'm not gonna, what, what, how is that any different than having a bunch of money and, and being all messed up, right? It's not about the, the, the wealth or the, the stuff. It's about the heart of the person. That's, I've seen people, I've seen this. Somebody that doesn't have, well, as the pool guy said, you know, a, a pot to let one go in. He doesn't have anything that's going after stuff, and they're just, they're just overcome with greed. Just overcome with it. And they don't even have stuff yet, but they're just, greed is their mission, it's their motive, it's, it's what's influencing their actions and everything. And I've seen people that have millions that would let it go in an instant if they, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have a hold on them. And I tell you, this person here struggles with greed more than this person here who has all that stuff. It's not about the things, it's about the heart, right? And that's what the Bible tries to get across. Now Solomon, listen, he, he, he fell at, in this. Later in his life, he got all messed up and he went off course and he ended up doing things that were very contradictory to the will of God. It was, it was a sad story the way it all ended up, okay? But he writes this in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And I want to go through this because I want you to see what got a hold of him to change from going from, he's he was clearly pursuing God and pursuing heavenly things, and then somewhere along the line, he gets off course, and now it's all about the wrong motives and the wrong way to use his wealth and his prosperity. He says here, I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruits in them. I made myself water pools from which the water to grow trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants, had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks and all that were in Jerusalem before me. Bear with me. We also gathered for myself, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the songs of men, musical instruments of all kinds. I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom remained. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward for my labor. And then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and all the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. It was all about him. Myself, myself, myself. I, 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 I. When it really should be him, 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 him. God, 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 God. Look, I got all kinds of stuff. I, I you know, I'm, I, I'm working on things every day just like everybody, right? But I'm just telling you, I wake up every day and it occurs to me, what does God want for me today? What is God's plan today for me? You know, what does he want me to do? I need him to live right today. I just desire, I mean, it's just like the compass immediately sets towards him. And as long as I can keep it aimed in that direction, the stuff that I mess up in, 
I can always keep myself moving in the right direction and trying to stay on track with what he has for me. And that's because I understand that. It's really about heavenly things, heavenly treasure, about God's plan and God's will. And if I get caught up in anything that's outside of that, that's for me, that's for myself, that's for I, I want, I need, I got to have. It's going to make me feel. It's going to make me look, whatever, all the stuff. All that's going to do is it's going to give me things that are just really corroding and wasting away. But it's just going to kind of take me more and more in a direction that's away from being able to hear, see, and understand clearly the things that are eternal that God would have me to do and the way that he would have me to walk. Listen to this. This is a quote about greed. I don't do this a lot, but this is really good. It says, if I were making a list of deadly sins, greed would be at the top of my list. Maybe this is just personal or maybe it's just the result of living in this society. But greed has a way of turning everything that's gold into dross. As James says, greed turns love into lust, leisure into sloth, hunger into gluttony, honor into pride, righteous indignation into anger, and admiration into envy. If it weren't for greed, we would suffer fewer of the other vices. That's powerful, isn't it? And it's true. It, it, greed... It, contam it's, it contaminates our actions because your actions, they flow out of your heart, right? Your motives. And when greed is the motive, then the action is weighted by greed. The desire for things that are earthly, the pursuit of things that are not heavenly, and the acquisition of things that are not in the measure or proportion of God's will for our lives. And so when we get caught up in this, everything that we try to do is swayed by that. It's slanted by that. It's tainted by that. That's why we got to deal with the root of the issue, not the symptom necessarily, right? As how many doctors would tell you, you deal with the symptom, the symptom may come back. You got to deal with the issue, the root. And when greed is the root, is the issue, it's about getting our heart away from earthly treasure pursuits and all about heavenly treasure and what God wants for our lives. So I ask you today, what kind of treasure are you building up? See, you're laying something up every day. Just by the sake of going through your day and expending time, you're doing something with that. And it's going towards something. What are you laying up for yourself daily? Which account is being built? Is it the heavenly account and God's plan for your life? Or does it have more to do with the things that are under heaven that are on the earthly side? And what kind of treasure should we really be going after? Hopefully we know that. See, we should have a strong longing to go after the things of God and prosper in all of our ways. And we will prosper in all of our ways. If, if the longing and the desire is to go after the earthly things, it gradually pulls us and, and takes us away from him. But if our longing and the desire is really just about God, it's about his plan for us, it's about his will for us, as we pursue that, then we will find ourselves blessed with all of our needs met, not just in scarcity, but to the point of abundance, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing is the way God talks about it in his word. The life of a person going after God's plan for them is a life not escaped or void of difficulty, trial, and fire, 
but it is one marked by favor, by blessing, by influence, and by victory. And that is what we need. In the end, we'll look back and realize that that was what God created us for all along to have, to desire that he wanted to give us as we searched for that each day of our lives. And so, are we willing to let go of everything that's earthly in order to lay hold of everything that's heavenly, that God has for us. Because the way I see it, you can't have one hand on this and one hand on that and really have a full grip on anything. You've got to be willing to let go of everything that's earthly and fully lay hold of God and his plan for your life. What does that mean? That means that there's no amount of stuff, there's no amount of things that have a hold on you to the point that you wouldn't be able to just let it all go if you had to. Just walk away from it. Just let it go. It doesn't mean anything. If I need to, if God wills it, whatever the course, the plan that God has for me, there's nothing that has a hold on me that I can't just let go. Better yet, I never had a hold on that to begin with. I was just holding on to God. And as he's pulling me and moving me in whatever direction he has, all that stuff may come with me. It may be around me. It may not. I don't know. It doesn't matter because I don't have a hold on it and it doesn't have a hold on me. Just like the rich young ruler, right? I think about missionaries and people that sell all their stuff and they move overseas when they're called. And I, not all of us are, very few people will probably ever be called to do that based on the statistics of missionaries in the, in the church, right? How many people go do that? But the people that are, when they're called, it, they don't even give it a second thought. It's so inspirational to me. They just sell it. They leave it. I'm going, man. I'm going after what God has for me. That thing, imagine if they had a hold or one hand on their possessions. How difficult it would be to flow and move right into the rhythm of where God was taking them in their lives. There's a guy named Francis Chan. I love him. He's a great pastor. He's got a really awesome book called Crazy Love. And he, one of the things, I don't know all the specific details, but, you know, he had a church over in Asia. It was like 50,000 people. I mean, it was churches. It was massive, right? And, and he felt at one point that God told him to just walk away from everything, to let it go, just sever his salary, sever everything. And he moved and relocated. And now he's training and teaching and building up other churches around the globe. But he just walked away from that whole thing. Now, I, I mean, he felt God led him to do that. And I'd say he probably did, judging by his track record of the decisions he's made. But the point is, is this guy had a place that very few people ever get to when it comes to stature influence. It's Imagine how hard it could be for a person to let go, and he just walked away from it. Let that be our heart in anything that we do, in anything that God blesses us with or graces us with the ability to taste as the fruit of our labor. Let it just be that, something we are blessed by, but that we never grab hold and put our hands to and, and take our hands off of God and the things that he has for us. I'm going to have team come back up here. You can go ahead and stand to your feet with me.